Hello and welcome to Monarchism Unfiltered. I'm one of your hosts, Mikosk. I'm your other host, I guess, Bronze. I'm I am. Who is not a host? He's just here, has his name in tails. Yeah, I am. Exactly. Um, Does that mean I'm sorry. sorry? That, was, that was a really shitty joke. As if our humor has a reputation of being stellar. No, I mean, because, you know, he's I am, he thinks. That's, that's a joke. As bad one. This got derailed instantly. Anyway. Hey, anyway. hey cabin fever excuse. Uh, it, it, it's the new pass. In any case, yeah. dear listener, today we have quite the topic to again segue uh, to again segue to back into history i suppose we still haven't broken that barrier just yet though we hope to soon today's topic is absolutism uh, both in abstract but also in its historical social context i think the best place to start would be to give like the sort of historical definition of absolutism would be um, and then to go from there yeah, yeah. i mean like, what does it what does it mean for someone to be absolutist. Does that mean they can yeah, do whatever that... they want? Is there restrictions? How much restrictions can there be? Or is it a, an altogether different definition that's qualitative and not quantitative? Indeed. So, dear Eden, one of the main issues with uh, defining absolutism becomes right at the start, as in, where did it start? Depending upon your interpretation, or really who you ask, uh, absolutism started as earliest as earliest as possible, 15th century, well, mid 15th century, to at latest uh, 17th century, basically. So it's quite a gap of time period for supposedly a system that rose to dominate Europe. Another important thing to have to note is that uh, the term absolutism itself was only coined after the French Revolution. Very few kings used the term, and only the, soul, uh, the Sun King really had a state propaganda about being independent from his subjects. All, even other absolutistic kings, had different messages. The note, the, though this might seem like a segue, the mention of propaganda is very important, especially in the historical context of absolutism. So... In terms of the, the historical context, I mean, you, you were saying earlier about how the basic definition of um, absolutism was if the, if, the, um, if the king was able to issue letters of arrest or letters of cachet, was it? Yes, in France it was a lettre de cachet, and, uh, but in English that would be translated as a bill of attainder. Yeah, the, yeah bills of attainder letters of cachet. The issue is that this, that even this definition is largely retroactive because it, 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 it's almost a technicality because after, like, I believe letters of cachet and bills of attainder only started to be seen as, oh, the sign of absolutism. Like in the 1800s when people, uh, when people uh, went uh, back, well, not back in time, but started reviewing the facts and, okay, what separated the Renaissance from the 1600s and 1700s style of government, and uh, that was basically it. Like that—that that is the big thing that comes out that the kings were able to issue these uh, letters of attainment and cachet. The large issue is that there were never that many to over the period of time 
over that entire period of time, there was never that many issued. So, like, in France, I believe, by the time the revolutionaries got around, uh, 274 letters of cachet had been issued by three different kings over a period of 600 years, uh, 600 years, three, no, 250 years. So, around one letter a year. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the... Um, obviously, you also mentioned earlier as well, the fact that during the French Revolution, they reviewed all of these and only 21 of them were overturned. Um, um, 20 some things, but yes, the vast majority, the vast majority of these uh, for quite a while seen as autocratic and unfair and unjust measures were in fact contemporarily by revolutionaries who quite literally voted the king to have the king executed, uphold the vast majority of these quote-unquote unfair trials as being, in fact, fair. Yeah, I mean, the, the other... Uh, I think the other point here really is that I think the more important thing, sort of historically, at least in terms of what absolutism was, um, in, the, in the sort of French sense, was a, a centralization of... Um, centralization of power that the king of France previously did not have. And that um, that sort of centralization occurred over, um, with, you know, with Louis the Sun King um, is usually the thing that I, I think, insofar as there is something that was absolutist, it was the relative the increase in centralization that occurred um, we're in France, um, like over, uh, like increase of the size of the state, um, and that historically was very useful in terms of just like prosecuting war and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's sort of. I think that there is this kind of parody image that we have of. Um, of what the absolute, what the French absolutist system is like, um, in part because most of our most of our experience, most of our understanding of this system, ultimately comes from um, ultimately comes from the um, from the British, and they were very against the, the French system. Um, yeah, I mean, they hated the French system so much that they refused to have police because that because the French had police, and so they thought we're not going to have police because that's very French. Yeah, I mean, which is why England didn't have, or rather, Great Britain didn't have police until the eighteen twenties. Yeah, and I think it was specifically they didn't have like gendarmes. Yeah, because in the, in the French system. Uh, the army was sort of in charge of like uh, policing, while in Britain they had a much more free and therefore English system of thief takers, which is it was um, you would pay a person to track down the person who stole your stuff, and then they would give it back to you. So essentially, you would get paid either by the the victim of the crime or the government to find thieves. Wow. Yeah. 
that explains that explains where all ANCAPs came from, huh? I mean, the the bigger issue as well though was that um, in France they had like mounted police that would go along the road to like prevent bandits, which wasn't the case in Britain. So the entire sort of um, post Civil War spike in banditry was entirely because of the refusal to establish a police force. I mean, like this is this is the kind of stuff that was considered to be absolutist. I mean, it's like it's similar to how the um, the Romans considered it utterly autocratic to have a um, to have like brewing licenses in, which was the case in in Egypt, and obviously as well. Then post the revolution, the size of the state increased again. Um, Though, really, the, the the sort of fear about the size and power of the state was more a kind of um, it was more of an English thing, I think, than really one of the concerns in France. Um, yeah, the, the concern, uh, the the uh, fear against strong central government has been an Anglo thing since time immemorial. Something, something in English neck on a Norman yoke. Something, something. I mean, I think the the yeah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but that would be distracting from absolutism. And I, I think the thing that you can especially see with like um, the things that were considered absolutist by um, by the the English war, like so. I've been yeah. I mean, there's there was the kind of Renaissance. Um, there was a, during the Renaissance and early early modern period. There was a re like there was a return to the classics essentially, and specifically Roman legal classics. And there was this creation of the idea of the free state, and the whole concept of the free state is essentially if there exists. The possibility that the government can take away um, some part of your liberty, then you are not free. And so the basically, yeah, and, and then along with some other other things about like you know, representative government and uh, so forth, what really came to define the sort of idea the sort of standard against which absolutism was was judged was essentially can can the can the king do anything by his own will essentially um like without sort of reference to to like an act of parliament or necessarily a, a sort of open court now obviously like these are things that we have in the present day in much larger, more widespread forms um, than they did. And I think that that really is one of the things, one of the key things that we often forget about um, these absolutist governments is that the whole point of the centralization of, of kingly power in 
Europe was not, it was not a case that they wanted to, you know, oh, be epic, just have lots of power. The specific reason was um, the, the, the desire to increase the efficiency of the state by getting rid of um, why, like, lots and lots of local traditions that sort of stood in the way of um, government efficiency. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of why, why it is the case. Um, another, another important aspect to mention about uh, absolutism that often gets ignored is the role propaganda, or I suppose proto-propaganda, since propaganda is specifically to the masses, and this was not quite set to the masses. But a lot of absolutism is about aesthetics, even back then. As you might have noticed here, and how we mentioned, like, absolutism itself was not that radical a shift from what immediately came before it. It can be seen as a process, and at best, a process that took hundreds of years to reach any any definable point. But what, uh, what and, special, and to bring back the example back to the Sun King, Absolute, absolutism under the Sun King wasn't that much other than I have no, I have no prime minister basically, and I can issue letters of cachet. That was what absolutism meant uh, back then. A very little of state administration in France changed by that point. The parlements, which in this case are legal courts, uh, still existed, and the Parliament of Paris was still incredibly powerful. The states of Aquitaine still had their provincial assemblies in full, in full, uh, in full existence, and in fact, it was the southern system that was "quote unquote" less absolutistic but more uniform that was a, that was that the kings wanted to expand but failed, vis-a-vis -vis the northern system where the provincial estates had kind of died out but were the only but were the only real place where the king could carry out where the central government or really any policy could be carried out. So what uh, the Sun King did, and the fact that everyone here is referring to him as the Sun King, kind of really shows that, is that he created an idea and he sold it, that he was this all-powerful king that, uh, that was beholden to none but God. And the, and the base idea here is that he wasn't. He created, he created that image because... Every single act, although he did not have a prime minister, every single other institution of government that he had that he had inherent remained during his reign, and he made use of all of them. He still held councils with the nobility to pass laws, it's, uh, to pass laws and discuss policy. But often, though, often he uh, would uh, veto or just or just uh, or proposes on laws. But that is no different than what came immediately beforehand. So a lot of the notion of absolutism is, as we said, retroactive, but also directly tied to propaganda efforts from the kings themselves, particularly uh, the Sun King. Other, other quote-unquote absolutist states in their propaganda often stress different values other than this, uh, other than this, I, I'm beholden to none. For example, the Austrians famously uh, to present themselves as paternalistic and the enlightened father guiding his guiding his sons a kind of united image versus vis-a-vis -vis the I am above everything else so it's also an angle that has to be taken into account when we discuss absolutism both in a more ancient context but also in a more recent 1800s or so context a fair bit of it is just that
aesthetics and propaganda, not necessarily, not necessarily any radical realignment underneath. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think what confuses a lot of people is that absolutism is in part, you know, retroactive and cultural and aesthetic and all that, but um, also it it discusses the nature of the king's power, not the amount of it that he can has. So, I mean, often many absolutist uh, rulers didn't have like that much real power to change things, because you know, because they were constrained by like either economic factors or other like real factors and so it's it's like but they had the nature of the power that was absolutist not necessarily that they had you know because that would be referred to as arbitrary power where the king can do what he wants whenever he wants all the time i think that's where a lot of people get confused yeah like in the grand scheme of things most monarchs, even quote-unquote absolutist ones, were beholden to a number of things, not least of which because they were human uh, at, the, at the end of the day. Like, believe it or not, but oftentimes not disappointing one's wife was often a driving force in monarchs doing or not doing X, Y, Z. The, 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 like, a central issue when we talk about absolutism, and I think we, like, have a good base here, is that it was only named such after the fact, I, if memory actually serves me, it was named in Spain after Ferdinand VII died, yeah, after Ferdinand VII died, and the liberal triennium got put, got put into place. So the term absolutism was created as a term of abuse to begin with, and only then spread as a quote as a technical term. Another thing that we have to take into account is that absolutism often gets related to the parallel but different, different in air quotes, uh, concept of enlightened absolutism or enlightened monarchism. Which is, which are both concurrent, depending upon who you ask. And if you and if you thought, oh, so wait, absolutism is just the ability to have to issue letters of cachet or bills of attainer, then what's enlightened absolutism? Well, enlightened absolutism has even less of a systematic definition. In the in that in the absolutism case, we can put a technical detail, a change in attitude, a Variants of aesthetics, a number of a number of still nebulous, but at least at least allow us to create a nebulous picture, such as straight up impossible with uh, enlightened absolute uh, with enlightened absolutism, to the point that the closest concise definition of enlightened absolutism I've ever heard has been the following: uh, an enlightened absolutist king is an absolutist king who sub who voluntarily submits himself to his own rules. This is an absurd statement because it assumes that that was not the case under absolutism. So, dear reader, you're starting to get an issue of when, of of the problems we have when discussing absolutism. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very sort of vaguely defined term. So, indeed, I mean, and 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 now we mentioned like what was absolutism in its time. 
let's move on into what absolutism was outside of its time. Because let's 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 use a very good particular example of this: the Carlists. The Carlists were undeniably uh, absolutistic, if for nothing else, because they absolutely despised liberal democracy and wanted to engage in a planetary crusade against it. So suffice to say, the Carlists are not the people who are going to sit down and try to discuss the beneficiary, the beneficiaments of the pluses, that's the word, of centralized benefits, benefits also, the of a, of, of a central parliament, largely because the Carlists were extreme decentralizationists. And more to the point, uh, uh, were in favor of the reinstitution in some cases, creation in others, and maintenance in, uh, in, in the three cases, in, in the three areas that they, and that largely spawned the Carlists, which was Aragon, the Basque country, and for a short bit, Catalonia. Were the Carlists wanted to maintain the fueros, which were a mixture of traditional legal rights, given in some cases given back in the medieval ages, but a few of them in the Renaissance, that uh, essentially created uh, low regional, really, councils which defined their own manners, had their own taxation, and depending upon your interpretation of the letter of the law, their own armies. And they deemed this absolutism almost out of spite against their liberal opponents. Yet, as you might have guessed, this is a very ra this is a radically different interpretation of what absolutism of what absolutism was for the Carlists than it actually was for the uh, for the contemporaries. But the Carlist attitude does give us perhaps a more working handle, some uh, well a more workable point, an opposite ab by largely telling us what absolutism isn't by stating that it is opposed to, well, liberal democracy and centralization, because the Carlists were also opposed to a central constitution or, even, or any sort of central legal document in abstract. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing here, at least with the Carlists, is that the, the Carlists, as far as I can tell, weren't really aiming for anything like absolutism. Um, the, like, even sort of on an aesthetic level, and there's a kind of, um, because there's a, there's this kind of, you know, Baroque traditionalism to, um, or Rococo or whatever you want term you want to use to liberalism or to absolutism, um, that, is sort of like the, the, I think the issue here really is that if you're looking at these time periods like with uh, um, absolute absolutism, enlightened absolutism and various feudal regimes um, what you know what and I think it's, I don't think it's actually possible to distinguish between absolutism and like enlightened absolutism on the simple grounds that what enlightened absolutism was, was just the same as what the Sun King was doing, which is political modernization from above um, through centralization of power, weakening of um, 
feudal aristocracy, so on and so forth. And the kind of reactionary absolutism that did exist was then coined as a term and then back applied to, you know, to to someone like Louis the Sun King, which I think only really serves to confuse our discussion of this topic on the basis of the fact that it's like, if you look at what what the early absolutists were doing, what the so-called enlightened absolutists were doing, they were ultimately doing the same thing. Um, I mean, I, th I think it would almost make sense to say that enlightened absolutism is just absolutism, but later. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree because like because the other thing here is that you know, um, the what absolutism really and you. You see this especially at the time, like um, it's like Wilhelm Frederick Wilhelm the First, like Frederick the Great, I think it was, um, the Prussian Enlightened Absolutist. Yeah, he was considered sort of uh, he's a typical example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Frederick the Second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frederick the Second, like he, like. The kind of thing he was doing is basically the same because he was essentially extension of Protestant power through through Germany, and um, the kind of Gallican conflict that you get in um, in France, sort of after or around the time of Louis the Sun King, um, I think is is as well just a kind of further sign of this because what like what what is considered what, as far as I can tell, what is considered to be um, absolutism, really, historically, was basically just the attempt to extend the power of the king at the expense of other elements of society, um, which usually ended up being the church. And... and Pains slightly on both the area and the exact locale. Again, like in some areas, the church was already weak, and others, the church was, and others, the nobility was already weak. So, who got hit largely depended upon the geographic circumcision, uh, circumscription, circumstances, that of the of the happening, rather than just being in general against the church. Though the church did get hit a lot of times. Yeah, and I, I think the further issue here is really that these, um, why I think it's necessary to bring it up is that, especially if you look at enlightened absolutism, I think explicitly enlightened absolutism was defined, and the enlightenment in general really was explicitly defined as uh, anti-Catholicism essentially, um, like as far as I can tell. The 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 whole the whole like logic of it, especially if you look at um, the way that universities changed after um, after the Enlightenment, the, you know, the focus on research um, was itself seen as a, a move away from like Catholic dogmatism and like manualism. I mean, um, you see, uh, a, a, an extremely good example of that is Joseph II, 
The Habsburgs were a dynasty famous for their good relate well, famous famous for their good relations until that point, uh, or more accurately, in living memory at that point. Uh, for good relations with the papacy, when Joseph II came to power and and started his reforms, he managed to nigh on get excommunicated, and later he got overthrown in a palace coup. So. Yeah. And I mean the, the the I think the the interesting point there I think as well is that the um a kind of interesting historical point is that when you look at these later movements like uh, Action Francaise Carlists um, that are like pro Anshan regimes. They are usually not pro, um, or they, by and large, they're not pro absolutism precisely for this reason. Um, and I think ultimately they were actually vindicated because um, the kinds of centralization of power that um, were undertaken by um, by these groups were. Like explicitly, explicitly, like I, I think there's there's a greater sort of continuity between the kinds of activities of, of the French revolutionaries and enlightened absolutism um, than there is between you know I don't know. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean if you look at I mean, say, I mean your point is backed up by uh, the maestro. Who said the issue was not the the revolution was caused not by nece not necessarily by bad nobles but by necessarily by compromising nobles who compromised with the Enlightenment? Yeah, and I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I I would agree with him there because it, it seems to me the kind of attitudes that were produced by the Enlightenment um, were ultimately anti-Christian. I think basically the the kinds of um, elitism that runs rampant through through these circles. I mean, you know, you can go read someone like Voltaire. Um, this kind of mocking cynicism that you see in Candida or um, whatnot. To me, I think that it's this kind of high level. Um, muted yeah it's it's this kind of high like high sort of high bourgeois essentially um cynicism that runs through most of what the enlightenment like voltaire or even you see this to a certain degree in kant um that they yeah they sort of don't believe in the christian message essentially um especially voltaire and the fact that, say, you know, things like human rights, things like the the, defense, the dignity of the human, have been recognised, have been recognised, or have been based ultimately upon um, the works of people like Maritain, who was very closely related to Action Francaise, um, to me indicates, at the very least, that they were that De Meister was correct in his Enlightenment stance. I think. Ultimately, the history has has come 
come out against in life in terms of the ways in which the way in which it approached life i think ultimately was like self-contradictory um and i think this this itself was this kind con- like was shows in these kinds of enlightened absolutist like the kind of you know the, the paradox of reform from above i think ultimately it's it's like um you know when you look at someone like pinochet obviously um milton friedman was like whoa isn't this is so amazing that we've had um, free market reforms from above but it seems to me that these kinds of absolutist states have always done this thing of like the imposition of supposed freedom from above um this certain vision that i mean you, i think you even see it um in the modern day with with a lot of feminist movements and there is this kind of um i think to to return it to the point about absolutism i think underlying the, the logic and where I, I think people like louis the louis the sun king can be criticized is specifically this attitude of reform from above this kind of um trampling disregard for um for local tradition for local whatever um in favor of increased centralization to do like you know like what, you what know, they, to, like, to, like, to to give an even better example and to again put go, go bring up joseph ii who often gets forgotten is Joseph II's modernizing and centralizing a- antics inadvertently spawned Belgium into existence, dear listener. When he tried to reform the administration of the Austrian Le- uh, Netherlands, his, uh, he basically started putting a bunch of reforms without consulting the locals, without informing anyone that he was doing this. And although... There were segments of the Belgian society that were pro these reforms. He implemented them in such a manner, in such a way, that it managed to alienate everyone. Uh, So bad so that the United States of Belgium came into existence during this time period, immediately before getting annexed by the revolutionary French Republic. But that's a topic for another moment. Like, there is, uh, and to reinforce what I am has been saying, the... I mean, no, even better. More, let's get, let's bring forth a very recent example that many uh, monarchists like to defend. The Shah of Iran and the and and his overthrow and the eventual creation of the Islamic Republic. Those who don't know, the uh, Pahlavi dynasty was famously. Modern, a westernizer and modernizing in its character, trying to bring Iran at the time into the fore, into the fore of well modernity, and basically, ja- and basically used the Cossacks' brigades to suppress any and all dissents. And by later, uh, after Reza, yeah, after Reza Pahlavi got overthrown and his son took the throne. Uh, the secret police was the one mainly doing it because doing it with the Cossack Brigade after the Soviet Union became communist, the population of available Cossacks decreased Im- immensely. Yeah, although so, the, the creation of the Soviet Union was something that a lot of Cossacks did try to prevent, but yeah, well, being you know the the gendarmerie of the the czars. 
Ah, well, they're back now. So, being the Jean, the Gendarmerie of Putin. So, perhaps not everywhere as once they were, but they are back. Asphalt Cossacks. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I think the absolutism, I think, is interesting because it, where or why specifically I think it is interesting is because I think there is a clear contrast between the kinds of governments that were set up in um, England and the Netherlands and that were established in, in you know, France and Austria. And I think it's an interesting question of why, why was it the case that, you know, you have these kinds of weird um, hybrid republicanisms existing, you know, with Cromwell or whoever, um, alongside um, centralizing sort of um, cinephile states in, you know, in in France and, and Prussia and, and whoever else. Um, because obviously, yeah, I mean, we've mentioned this before, I think, of the fact that probably the thing that would make China, like, oh, that would make absolutism real was the kind of uh, cinephilia of, of the whole project. Um, and the sort of copying of Confucian practices. Um, and that that sort of I think that sort of contrast really between this kind of um, is actually quite interesting in terms of I think there is a contrast to be made between the kinds of um, proto proto liberalisms of um, many of the people that supported rump parliament compared to um, compared to the kinds of cinephilic tendencies of um, that you see, especially in, say, Leibniz and his influence in um, Germany, um, or same in France, um, where you have state reforms to be more, quote-unquote, Chinese. Um, but I think it, it's, a, it's an interesting question as to why, why did the different places go in such different ways? Especially in the context of, you know, I think it, it's fair to say that the ostensible reason for for the creation of the absolute state under under Louis the Sun King and his successors is was for the purpose of the extension of state power um, for the prosecution of war. And yeah, I mean, the the absolute state is something that is directly created out of the changing nature of war. I mean, the reason that kings were often unable to centralize is because they, they got armies that were centralized. Because, of course, armies changed from the medieval era to what we call the Renaissance, or early modern period. Namely, gunpowder was introduced. And the introduction of gunpowder did two things. One, you know, using... Uh, a musket or arquebus or whatever you want to call it takes a lot less training than you know being a mounted knight, and also it allowed a, a, a large competent army to very easily destroy the castles of the aristocracy were they to revolt against the king. 
and so they were and so the aristocrats had to bow to the king's authority because now he had this centralized army which is often a mercenary army that he, that he could that he got often by borrowing money but even so he could borrow money and crush the will of the aristocrats and so centralize the state because the 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 prime duty of the aristocrat in medieval times was of course to provide soldiers for the king you know there's the like the three estate division of those who pray those who make war and those who labor and and in that diagram the aristocrats were those who make war and now so they were sort of non-essential and so that's when you get this absolutism tendency yeah it emerged before that with things like scutage becoming more common but yeah the maintenance and creation of new regiments central payment and etc cetera, etc cetera, all played their part so dear listener we've we've created a picture of what can of what is traditionally themed absolutist but what we could really call it is late modern state because that that's really what we that's really what uh, what the term absolutism and by and large enlightened absolutism applies to is to is to the type of statementship that was coming to the fore in this time period. Now, this has provided a decent technical idea and viewpoint of what was actually going on. It does fail to uh, to well mention how the term absolutism gained its own uh, life even outside this. As we mentioned in the past, the uh, reactionary Carlists are one of the angles, but on the other, quite literally on the other side of Europe, we have Russia with its notions of czarist autocracy, which is also considered a type of absolutism, though some do consider it its own unique thing. And as mentioned earlier, these two angles, vis-a-vis the modernizing centralized monarchies that we've, uh, that we've been mentioning, both the European ones and the later uh, Muslim examples, technically Islamic examples, because Iranians are not Muslims. Anyway, anyway, the it's it's this later period that also a- adds a lot of confusion because then, okay, so what is absolutism for the Carlists? It's any absolute state, quote unquote, would be any state that's that doesn't have a central constitution uh, in which the regions have uh, tons of uh, tons of autonomy, etc., etc., etc. For uh, for uh, a, a tsarist autocrat, it would be the under the e- under the edifice of orthodoxy, nationality, and and royalty. The tsar would do everything in his power to do right by his nation. While in the modernizing context, it's the king who understands the needs of his people better than they do. Simply tries to reform the country to bring it to the fore, and. In many ways, each and every single one of these interpretations is legitimate in so much as they do refer to something that did indeed fact exist. In many ways, and especially nowadays, so from 1600 to 2020, basically, a lot of people nowadays interpret absolutism to just mean pre-industrial totalitarianism, which, as you might have guessed by what we've been told, by what we've been saying here, is... At best, an extreme exaggeration. 
Well, yes, one particular example amongst the many regimes we've mentioned did use propaganda to quite the effect. The vast majority of them never quite used such attempts at mass mobilization. And even the Sun King's goal of propaganda was really more for prestigious sake rather than, say, trying to really get the French peasant behind the idea of getting triple taxation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, that the, the propaganda of all the, the absolutists and autocrats of history pales in comparison to, like, modern, modern governments. I mean, P- Pétain famously claimed that he was that when he was given power over Vichy France, a puppet state, mind you, that he was that he was the first head of state that had, like, he had the amount of power he had paled into comparison to the power that the absolutist kings ever had, and all and that statement still largely holds true today on any modern republican head of government. Yeah, I mean, there's the, I, th- I believe it was Charles Coulomb said that there's never been an absolute monarchy that is as absolute as a republic. I mean, I'd agree with that completely. Yeah, I mean, that's very reasonable. I mean, yeah, I, I mean I, completely entirely, I think. I mean, especially to our American listeners, compare and contrast the the amount of bad shit and insane things your presidents can do with executive orders that we can assure you there would be nothing that in uh, that uh, the sun king could do to even compare and uh, and and if you think about the the british hanover kings i mean they pale absolutely in comparison i mean the autocracy of george the 3rd versus even that of Right, Any yeah, American I mean, president. I mean, yeah. I mean, he tried to institute a tax on paper and failed. Like that's that's the level of level of power he had. So, dear listener, the what we're trying, what we've been, what we're trying, we have been trying to say is that although absolutism did exist, it's not how it did not exist how it's often portrayed. It did not exist how many think it was, and most assuredly, in its own time, many saw it as either a degeneration of what was previously existing, because we had uh, oppositions towards absolutism, especially in, uh, in the French court during the Regency era. This is the French Regency era, not the English Regency era. Two different periods. Yeah, I mean, uh, I believe that... Um... Louis the Fourteenth had uh, four different fronds, as they were called, which were aristocratic rebellions against the power of the king. Yeah, but also, like in the court, you had some very interesting proposals for internal reforms, such as the. I mean, nowadays those who know about it uh, like malign the notion of polysynodal government that was introduced briefly during the Regency, but the other proposals, the ones that did not get implemented. Because the version that did get implemented existed, was implemented solely so that the regent could centralize his power on his hands. So the the sole example was not the best example. And also famously, polysynoidy is also the term that the Carlists uh, used to their proposed ideal form of government, which is really just a return to the Habsburg administrative practices of the of the of both predating the Iberian Union but also 
firmly established during the times of the Iberian Union. In many ways, absolutism refers to a nebulous collection of factors. Some of them are social economic, some of them are military, some of them are political, some of them are purely ideological. Some pe- You had had people as early as the 10th century saying that a king as vicar, not as vicar of God, but as one of God's representatives on earth should not be beholden to nobles. In many ways, absolutism was bound to be a thing, but in many ways it was never quite a thing as it is uh, as as such is typically understood. So we enter the like co- common day era understanding of absolutism of the king can do whatever he wants based upon often well simply wrong assertions or simple. Uh, or, or straight up just lies. As we've shown, the kingdoms couldn't do all they wanted. If they did, they would probably have done not to get overthrown multiple times or get civil wars on their heads. So all of this, dear listener, to paint a picture that maybe, perhaps, when you find your monarchist, when you decide to become a monarchist, perhaps give a bit more thought into what being a quote-unquote absolutist actually means. Because of because the term is extremely nebulous. Yeah, and it's not very like defined. Like, what does being an absolutist today mean? Like, what does that? Because that could mean like a boundless amount of things. So I think there needs to be sort of like a more clear discourse on like what 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 do you mean when you say that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that really is the, the core issue here is that absolutism as a, as a term refers to these kind. Variously refers to the kinds of, um, you know, not having a constitution, um, sort of reform from above, as we see with Sun King, um, or like, you know, any, yeah, any number of historical points that I, I don't think really are, are relevant to most modern forms of monarchism, the kinds of politics that we're engaged in, I don't think are particularly relevant to, to like, what an absolutist is. Um, and I think that's that is kind of the issue of, of like what yeah you know what what do you mean when you say you're an absolutist and yeah I think I think that's a very good place to leave of at least a modern discourse it's it's not a particularly helpful term I don't think indeed and with that said feel free to la- to give us your answer to the question we've just said via either email or YouTube comment or Reddit co- or Reddit comment since that's what we're going to put this um, podcast on. I mean, I mean it goes up in enough. I, I don't know if I don't even if, know if you can leave Spotify comments or, I mean, probably I don't know how likely it is we'll check those. But yeah, I mean, wherever you can, leave a thing. We'll try. You know, smash the like button, as the kids would say. Reblog it on your Snapstagrams and and yeah, do all, do all the things. Do all the things. We need the feedback. We need the feedback. God damn it. I've been one of your hosts, Makosk. I've been I am. And I've been Bronze.